Amen. Thank you, Chuck. Good morning, City Light. Merry Christmas. It, oh, we're, a few of you are into the Christmas spirit already. It is Christmas time. Uh, if you didn't know that, we're in December now. It's legit Christmas season. And I don't know about you guys, but uh, I always like to, in these times, I like to reflect back on old Christmas memories. Do you guys do that? Um, I've been doing that this week, and one of my favorites happened uh, when I was young. This one got captured on home video. You remember those big camcorders that like go on your shoulder and the eyepiece that wraps around and record on the big VHS tapes? It was that kind of a home video. Uh, my young, one of my younger brothers... Uh, he had the biggest gift this year, and uh, it was huge. It, like, waist high probably, which isn't as high on me as some people, okay, uh, truth be told. But it's probably waist high, it's big, and it couldn't fit under the tree, so it was, like, beside and behind the tree. And all, uh, the, uh, since it was wrapped and put there, he's just super excited. Man, I just want to open that present. I got the biggest one, wondering what it is. And so he waited and waited, and when Christmas morning finally came, and then his turn came, my folks said, okay, go ahead. And he ran over there, and he tore into that wrapping paper, and beneath it was just a regular, plain cardboard box. And he said, it's a box! I love it! <laughs> and he was, he was one of those kids that loved to build forts, you know, and I don't know if that's what he was thinking, but he was so excited about the box, it never even occurred to him to open it up and see what might be inside. And I love memories like that because they just capture moments of joy right? Just joy in the moment, in his heart. And I love this Christmas season because joy isn't just found in old home videos. It's found in God's word, in the Christmas story. And in fact, joy is mentioned over and over and over again in the Christmas story that we're reading in Luke. And so I know if we're just honest with ourselves, I know that right now the world can seem to be uh, ruled by fear and stress and anxiety and things like that. Um, and so when those things come, it can be easy to get down, um, to let them get to us, to let them sap our joy. Joy can seem like it's just out of reach. But because that's the world that we live in, I think precisely because that's the environment around us, we need a story like the Christmas story, don't we? Uh, the angels showed up and declared, I bring you good news of great joy. That means this Christmas story is not just a fairy tale or a myth or a nursery rhyme. It's not just a good story that we get to tell our kids at bedtime this time of year. This is a story of good news, of great joy for all people. And we get to read it and experience it even now. So I'm excited to dive in. As we get started, I want to set the stage just a little bit. This Christmas season, we're doing a series that we're calling The Spirit of Christmas. And we're looking at... What is the spirit of Christmas? And we don't mean, when we say the spirit of Christmas, we don't mean simple generosity or brotherly love. We don't mean Charles Dickens' spirit of Christmas past, present, and future. Okay, what we're looking for is the true spirit of Christmas as it's revealed in the account of the first Christmas uh, events in God's word. And so as we look there... The true spirit of Christmas is the Holy Spirit. 
It's God himself. He is uh, God three in one, a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so as we talk about the spirit of Christmas, what we mean is God's Holy Spirit. And so if you're new to City Light, let me tell you a little bit about who we are. We say very often that we are a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered church. We're gospel-centered and spirit-empowered. What does that mean? Well, on this side, gospel-centered, it means that at the core of who we are, at the center of who we long to be, is the gospel. The good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. And that's centered to who we are. We don't stray far from that truth because the Bible never strays from that truth. See, when we read the Old Testament, we see prophets and kings and priests and people pointing toward, telling us about, modeling what it will look like when a Savior, Messiah, will come save his people. The whole Old Testament points forward to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then we turn the page, we get to the New Testament, and it starts off with four books that are literally called the Gospel according to Matthew. Mark, Luke, and John. And in those books, they record the humble but miraculous story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It is the gospel story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And from then through the end of uh, God's word, the rest of the New Testament looks back on what Jesus did, what he accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. And it gives us encouragement and instruction for life until he comes again. And so as we read the Bible, it just never strays from the gospel. The gospel is the center story of all that it says, and because of that, it's the central focus of who we are and what we do as a church, all right? We are a Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, gospel-centered church. You with me? All right. So we are gospel-centered, and we're spirit-empowered. We long to be spirit-empowered. What does that mean? What would that look like? Well, I think being spirit-empowered very simply means we just believe what Jesus said. We take him at his word that he really meant what he said when he told his disciples things like this. John chapter 16, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. This is kind of weird. You ever read this before? Jesus says to his disciples, it's to your advantage. You are better off. It's better for you if I'm not here. Jesus said that. Why? Because he said, if he goes away, he's going to send the Holy Spirit to help us. There is something better, more advantageous to us that the Holy Spirit would empower us. Jesus told us that. Because it's in the Bible, we believe it. And so you might read a verse like that or hear it read, and if you're like me, your mind starts popping up some questions right away, and that's okay. Uh, I bet some of them are, uh, how does the Holy Spirit help us? What would that actually look like if the Holy Spirit helped me in my real life? And those are good questions, and this Christmas season, that's exactly what we want to look at in God's word. All right, when Luke recorded 
the story of the first Christmas, the events that happened around Jesus' birth, if you read this in his gospel, you will see the Holy Spirit mentioned just as often as Jesus is. He talks about the Holy Spirit just as much as he talks about Jesus. Isn't that incredible? In the Christmas story, when the long-awaited, promised Savior of mankind arrives on the scene, the Holy Spirit is on the scene too. And so we want to take a little time and look at what did that look like for them then and let that speak into us, inform us about what it might look like for us now. And so that's where we're headed in light of all of those things. Here is our big idea for the morning. The Holy Spirit gives joy, right? Very simple. The Holy Spirit gives joy. Um, I think that's what this part of the Bible is telling us. In other words, one way to answer the question, how does the Holy Spirit help us, is to say the Holy Spirit helps us by giving us joy. All right? And I don't want you to think I just made this up. There are other places in the Bible that say this. Some people like clear textbook explanations. Right? If that's you, we can go to Galatians chapter 5. It's probably the most clear place in all of Scripture. Uh, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. What happens when the Spirit dwells in you? Fruit is produced. And what does that fruit look like? Among them is joy, right? The fruit of the Spirit is joy. That's an explanation. But sometimes we learn better by experience than explanation. So now we've got Galatians explaining it to us. I, I want to dive into Luke and get an experience. And I think this story is going to say the exact same thing that Galatians says. When the Holy Spirit shows up, people get joy. All right? So that's where we're headed. Um, this is what it's going to look like. Joy. Three questions in these first two chapters of Luke. Who gets it? Who grows it and who grounds it? Joy, who gets it, who grows it, who grounds it? Uh, we're going to start at the beginning. The characters, let me, uh, let me introduce you to who's going to show up in Luke 1 and 2. We've got Zechariah and Elizabeth. Okay, they're married, and Elizabeth is pregnant with a son. His name is John, and when he's born, he will grow up to become John the Baptist. All right, uh, Elizabeth is somehow related to Mary, who is pregnant with Jesus, and Jesus and John are somehow cousins, okay? So we've got showing up on the scene around Jesus when he was born, we've got Zechariah, Elizabeth, John, and Mary, okay? The question at hand in the Christmas story, who gets joy? I'm going to read to you some scripture, we're going to race through it, so you don't have to turn to it, you can look up here, I've got it for you. Um, We'll start out. Zechariah and Elizabeth get joy. Here's what the angel said to Zechariah. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness. The angel shows up and says, you will have joy. Zechariah and Elizabeth get it. They're not the only ones, all right? They're hanging out at home. Mary, who's pregnant with Jesus in her womb, shows up at the door, knocks. Doug read this to us a, a moment ago. When she knocks, uh, Elizabeth opened the door. Mary greets her. And upon the greeting of Mary, pregnant with Jesus, John leapt for joy inside Elizabeth's womb. 
Baby, not yet born John, got joy. So Zechariah, Elizabeth, John, they all get joy. It doesn't stop with them. After John is jumping around inside, mom probably doing some good rib kicks, right? I've never experienced that, but I've heard that happens, okay? John's bouncing around, and Mary responds. She gets joy, too. She sang a song, and this is what she said. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices. There's our joy again in a different form of the word. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary got joy too. Listen, this is what I see when I read God's word. Zechariah, Elizabeth, John, and Mary, they all got joy. Every single character in the whole cast, everybody who played a role, they all got joy. Nobody was left out. It literally says all of them got it. I think that's intentional. And so I, I, I don't think that joy was just for them. It's pretty cool they were the first ones that got it, but I don't think it was intended to stop with them. Uh, do you remember what the angel told the shepherds on the night Jesus was born? I said it just a little bit ago. He said this. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I, that gets me excited. I don't know. He says it's great joy. Now, I, uh, I don't think this is like taking new socks out of the package, putting them on, walking around. That's real joy, okay? I love that. But that's like average joy. That's common joy. This is good news of great joy, of surpassing joy, of overcoming joy. That's for who? All people. Great joy for all people, City Light. The Christmas story is not a myth or a fairy tale or a nursery rhyme. The Christmas story is not just a good story that we tell our kids at bedtime. The Christmas story is a story of good news, of great joy for all people. This story was, uh, the, the events actually happened. And it was recorded in writing a couple thousand years ago. And ever since that time, for centuries upon centuries, this story has been told to people in all places and times and languages and cultures. This is a story of good news, of great joy for all people. And it's been going to all people. And here's the best news yet. It's our turn. It's your turn. If you have never seen yourself in the Christmas story, if you've always heard this and thought it was something that happened a long time ago for those people then, change your mind today. All right, can I encourage you? Would you put yourself in the story this time around? Would you find your place in it? The good news of great joy is not for just for little kids opening their presents. The good news of great joy is for you. It's for your family and your friends. It's for your neighbors and your coworkers. It's for your neighborhood and for our city. The good news of great joy that was heralded when Jesus was born is for all people. And see, I want to say, we actually believe that. It means something to us. When Doug and I uh, and our core team, as we started this church, 
We prayed that this would be good news for all people. We prayed that God would do what he said he would do. We prayed that this good news, people who had never heard it before, who'd never gotten joy in the gospel message of Jesus Christ, would hear it for the first time and the joy would fill them. We prayed that this message would be taken into the streets and neighborhoods of our city and that people would get saved from darkness into light because this is great joy for all people. And by God's grace, he's been answering that prayer. He's been giving us favor and our church has grown. And I just want to say we don't apologize for that. We celebrate that. And we long for more of that because we want to see this good news of great joy reach all the people around us. And so we have the pleasure of getting to read a story like this today and have a place in it. Say, that's for me and that's for you. And then we get the honor and the privilege and the joy of sharing it with those people around us, all right? Who gets joy? Everyone. All the people. Amen. That's good news. Okay, we're going to move on. Uh, Our second question, joy. Who grows it? In other words, who is giving it? If all people are supposed to get this joy, from where would they get it? And I'm just going to give it to you from the beginning. The answer is the Holy Spirit, okay? Every time we see somebody get joy in this text, we see the Holy Spirit is there too. And I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want to look again at the text. So look with me. We'll start with John. Uh, in Luke uh, 1.15, it's written, He, John, will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. That means when he's bouncing around inside, leaping for joy, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary... The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was, catch this, filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, Zechariah, what about him? Well, after he was, um, uh, his tongue was tied, he couldn't speak until baby John was born. Uh, Baby John gets born, he's named John, all of a sudden he can speak again, and before he utters his first word, uh, Luke says, and his, John's father, Zechariah, was... Filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, one more. Mary, uh, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is uh, after the angel says that she's going to bear a son and his name's going to be Jesus. He's going to sit on the throne of David for forever. And she says, how's that going to happen? And, and uh, the angel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Every time. These people get joy. The Holy Spirit is there. You see it? It's right there in the text. Every time they got joy, that joy had an agent. Somebody who was uh, uh, awakening it in them, uh, enlivening it in them, revealing it to and within them. And that agent was the Holy Spirit. Listen, that's not a coincidence. That's a pattern. Something is going on there. Um, let me tell you a little bit about my story. 
I, I grew up um, as a pretty good kid. I think I went to church a lot. And uh, when I was at church, I went to a kid's program called Awana. Um, and it's a Bible memory kind of thing. And uh, I memorized over 2,000 verses of the Bible by the time I was in eighth grade. Okay? I'm not saying that to brag. My parents made me go. Um, I wasn't uh, super excited about it all the time, but I did it. Okay? And so I thought, because I'd done that, that uh, I had a pretty good idea of what God's word said. And I think in large part, that was true. I, I'd memorized a lot of scripture. Um, but I, I, I don't remember, reflecting back, ever learning about the Holy Spirit. I don't remember ever being taught about the Holy Spirit I don't remember ever encountering it. I did know that the Holy Spirit was part of the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And outside of that, I don't remember ever learning anything. And so despite all my memorization, there was this gap. And so I grew up knowing a bunch of God's word, and this is what I knew. I knew God was good, and I felt like I got to be good too. I got to live up to that. I got to live into that. And so I was um, a rule follower, at least in part, if not in whole, because I felt like I had to be. And so uh, I, I followed the rules as best I could. I knew Jesus would forgive me when I messed up, when I sinned, when I rebelled against him. But man, I always felt bad, guilty that he had to forgive me so often for so much. And so I remember a season in my life where I would lay down to bed at night, and I would pray. I would pray, oh, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins, all my sins? And I would try to remember and confess them to him. And then I would try to just stop my mind and not let any other thought creep in, just be silent and fall asleep. But inevitably, a few moments later, I think something like, what's for lunch at school tomorrow? You know, I wonder what's going on. And then I'd think, oh, no. That could be my last thought ever. Uh, God, please forgive me of all my sins. Jesus, would you forgive me for what I've done? And I'd go through all of it again, and then I'd try to silence my mind and make my very last thought of every night uh, a prayer asking for forgiveness. Now, that's kind of a weird thing, maybe. I might be a weird guy, um, unusual. I don't know how to think about that now. Because I look back on those days, and I know my heart was in a, in a good place, at least in terms of wanting to be right with God, to know my standing was good with Him. But man, it was a stressful and pretty dark place to have absolutely no assurance of where I stood before Him, absolutely no joy in what He had done for me. You ever find yourself in a position like that? in a place like that. You hear God's word read, or you open it for yourself, and you hear an angel declare, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. And you think, well, I'm a people. I should be involved in that. But man, I don't feel great joy. Maybe following Jesus and finding your place among his people feels a lot more like a bunch of rules than a bunch of joy to you. Maybe you experience a lot more guilt because of what you've done than joy and the reality that Jesus offers to forgive you for everything and anything that you've done. Uh, if that's you, if you get there sometimes, just know this, you're not alone. I've been there, I'm prone to get back there. I know the good news, but somehow I just lack the joy. It's not there. Um, 
I don't think we're alone either. Uh, another guy who wrote some books in the Bible, his name was Paul. Uh, he wrote a letter to the church in Rome. And let me tell you about what was going on in that church. There were these people who started arguing about stuff. Like, um, I, I think somebody cooked up a juicy pork chop, and they were ready to dig in like I might do. And somebody else said, hey, we don't eat pork around here. And they start arguing about this, what should and shouldn't be eaten. And then there's somebody else in another corner who starts debating about what holidays can and can't be celebrated. I imagine if uh, Halloween was celebrated back then, it would have been at the top of the list. Hey, is trick-or-treating wicked and don't ever do it? Or is it missional and go tell the gospel to your neighbors, dress up, right? And these arguments just start flaring up. And all these people, I think probably genuinely just wanted to get right with God like I did. Right, Get out from under that feeling of guilt. They wanted to try to live right with God. Yet the problem was, all they accomplished was making everybody else around them feel guilty. See what's going on there? Well, Paul could see it, and he perceived it, and he wrote a letter to that church. And in that letter, he reminded them of this truth. He said, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace And joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is a matter of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what it's all about. Man, I can't imagine what it would have been like for me. How different it would have been laying in bed those nights. And rather than feeling weighted down by my sin. Rather than wondering, could I ever be good enough on my own? to know the joy of the Holy Spirit. I can't imagine how different that would have been. Um, City Light, let me ask you. If you're longing to get out from under the weight of your sin, if you long for joyful friendships because it seems like you're just always stressed out trying to get other people to live the right way or feeling like you just can't ever live the right way, right? If you long to lay your head on your pillow at night, and have thoughts laced with joy rather than fear or obligation or guilt. Can I suggest to you today that what you're actually longing for is joy in the Holy Spirit? I mean, I think those nights that I laid there just longing for forgiveness, wondering, do I really have it? What I was actually longing for was the Holy Spirit to do something inside me so that I just believed it and knew it. What did uh, Elizabeth say to Mary? And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Her belief led her to joy. It was the Holy Spirit that worked that in her. What did you say? Joy does not grow in the hearts of men and women when we become better people. It doesn't grow in us when we follow more rules or take the next drink, when we learn more or speak more convincingly. It doesn't grow in us when we schedule our time better. It doesn't grow in us when we try to escape everything going on around us by falling asleep watching Netflix. Joy only grows in the hearts of men and women one way. It's the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and producing out of us fruit. He gives it and he grows it. That's where it comes from. Listen, our second question is, who grows joy 
And the answer is the Holy Spirit. He did it for uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth and John and Mary, and he still does it for us today. So joy, who gets it? All people, everybody, right? Who grows it? The Holy Spirit. We got one more to go. Our last question is who grounds it? All right, now, let me give you a, a, a little background. Why would I word it that way? Uh, Dougie, just a few weeks back, he preached on sin, and he said sin has roots and fruit, right? You were there. You might remember the uh, uh, apple tree. They took all the apples off and tried to tape pears on it, and he said, no, nah, it doesn't make it a pear tree. Its roots determine its fruit. And so I would ask the question today, what does the Holy Spirit root our joy in? If we have a fruit of joy, what are the roots? Where does it go? Uh, to answer that, I want to look back at Luke 1 and 2 one more time. Now, we did invite people uh, to read along, all of you to read along in Luke 1 and 2 with us this Christmas season. We're going to be there uh, all the way up through Christmas. So uh, if you haven't been doing that, um, jump in. It's not too late. If you need a Bible, there are some under some chairs um, around you. Take one. Take it home. Put your name in it. It's our gift to you. Sorry for the small print. Okay, um, If you have been reading along with us, when you read these chapters, you might have caught on to this idea. They read a little bit like a Disney musical. Okay, Don't let that turn you off. This is what I mean. People just keep breaking into song. This is what happens. They hear the gospel message. They're filled with joy, and then they break out into song. Elizabeth does it. Mary does it. Zechariah does it. And then a guy named Simeon, um, when Jesus is brought to the temple for the first time, he does it over and over again. Now, if I'm honest, I don't know that they all actually sang, but if they didn't, there was some pretty sweet spoken word rhyme getting laid down because this is good poetry, okay? Over and over again, this keeps happening. And so what I want you to see is when they hear the gospel, the Holy Spirit wells up in them joy and they exclaim or sing or sometimes it's called prophesy and there's a subject to that. Their joy has meat, a theme that weaves throughout all of their expressions of joy. And so I'm going to read a few of them to you, and I want you to look at the subject matter for their joy, okay? Here's Elizabeth. When Mary came, Elizabeth says to Mary, she proclaims or exclaims, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. What's the fruit of Mary's womb? Jesus. You got it. Zechariah, uh, after his tongue had been loosed, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is how he starts his prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. How did God visit and redeem his people? Through Jesus Christ. Here's Mary. Uh, she starts her song, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Who was her Savior? It was Jesus Christ. Listen, the one inside Mary's womb, the Redeemer who visited his people, God the Savior, in this passage, the joy of the Holy Spirit is expressed as praise for Jesus Christ every time. Without fail, every time. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, and the root of the Spirit is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's just how it works. Listen, the fruit of, the, the fruit of joy is not just random joy. 
Okay, it's not like putting on new socks, though that's good. It's not um, just being smiley, right, all the time. There's a deeper joy that addresses those deeper longings in our heart. I said I laid down at night wondering, do I have right standing with God? I don't ever want to fall asleep without that being my last thought. What I wanted was to know the reality of the gospel that Jesus did save me for my sin now and forever. And that good news and that assurance brings people joy because it addresses deep bedrock questions in our lives. This is not a random joy. This is good news of great joy. Do you see that? Listen, Zechariah, when he said that in joy, he blessed God for visiting his people, he's saying, listen, God actually came. He was near us and among us. He lived with us. Jesus was called Emmanuel, God with us. That was his name. God is not far off and distant and cold and calculated. He is near to us because we are dear to him. And it gave Zechariah joy, right? That's unusual. But in most other religions, if a perfect God visits imperfect people, that's bad news. That means judgment and punishment and wrath, right? But Zechariah praises God for visiting us. Why? Because he was the redeemer. Just like we would take an empty, used, washed up, a soda can to a redemption center and they would see value in it. Jesus came to earth as a redeemer, one who saw people who were broken and empty and washed up and used and spent and he redeems us. He makes us new and he makes us clean when we follow him. Jesus is a redeemer and that's good news. And it's good news because when Jesus makes us clean, he saves us. Mary, enjoy saying to God her Savior. Listen, this is what the Bible says. For the wages of sin is death. That means you and I deserve death and separation from God. We deserve that because we have rebelled against him and we deserve the fate of a rebel. Right? That's not vindictive. That's reality. We were rebels against God, and the wages of that rebellion is death. And yet Jesus is our Savior. He makes us clean. He was born that first Christmas night, and from his first day until his last day, he never once rebelled against his Father. He never sinned. And yet his sinless life ends with a sinner's death. That seems backwards, right? It shouldn't happen that way, but it was intentional. Because he died for us. He died in our place. He died so that we don't have to. He died our death for us so that we could live his life with him forever. Jesus is our savior who saves us from death to life. He lived a sinless life and died a sinner's death so that we sinners who deserve a sinner's death don't have to suffer that anymore and we get eternal life with him. Jesus is a savior and there should be joy in our hearts when we lay down at night and wonder, could I ever be right? Could I ever get out from under the weight of this sin? The answer is yes. 
And the answer is Jesus. And that's where our good news is rooted. And when the Spirit works in our hearts, it bears fruit of joy in us. See, like we are a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered church. And this is what I'm talking about. There is good news of the gospel that God saves sinners like you and me through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And as that root, as that gospel takes root in our hearts, it's better, it's advantageous for us that he would send us the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to that, to fill us with that, so that up from those roots is drawn joy that fills us and overflows into the world around us. That's the spirit-empowered part. We are a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered church. Now, you may have noticed, if you spend any time around here, we like to turn the joy level up to 11, okay? Uh, we do that. Um, and people have asked us, uh, is that fake? Like, can people really be that happy all the time? And our answer is always no. Listen, it's not fake or manufactured or calculated. Our joy as a people is the result of the Holy Spirit working in us so that we know the truth of the gospel and the fruit of joy is born in the real hearts of real people in this place. This is not a myth or a fairy tale. This actually happens. The Bible tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is joy and we believe what the Bible says. Uh, So, uh, I know now that I'm speaking to people from all different backgrounds. Okay, some of you are sitting here listening to the, these words uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and you say, hey, Eric, man, there's a lot more to being filled with the Holy Spirit than just joy. And if that's you, I would say you're right. <laughs> that's true. But there are others of you who are sitting here, and you're saying, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, whoa, I've, I've heard some stories of people doing some pretty weird stuff claiming to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if that's you, you're right, okay? People have done some weird things being, uh, claiming to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I want to be clear here. I am not trying to get anybody to do really weird things, okay? That is not what we're about. What we're about is reading the good news of the gospel, understanding what it says, and then following. And so the Bible says that people heard the good news of the gospel, they were filled with the Spirit, and they got joy. And we want that to happen. And so can I encourage you today, uh, would you take a first step? If you've never been open to the Holy Spirit as a living and active person moving in your life, and you don't know what that would look like, would you take just a first step this morning? Uh, Ask him to fill you, to open your eyes to the reality of the gospel and overflow you with joy. Just, Just ask, like pray, talk to him, that's okay. And ask for that. Maybe this week, take the Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 1 and 2, and read it. And before you read it, and while you read it, and after you read it, just ask the Holy Spirit, would you fill me up? Would you open my eyes to see that I have a place in this story? And what is my place? And what does that mean for me? Ask him. He will answer. Listen, I know for some of you, this might look like the first step, or a, a, a new prayer Um, as part of a lifelong journey pursuing God, and that's okay. We want to keep growing, right? For others of you, you're skeptical of this whole Jesus thing. You don't even know, is this real? Uh, I, I I wouldn't even know how to begin. I'm just here because I'm here. 
If that's you, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal this to you might be the first step on a journey to getting some of those bedrock questions and concerns and worries lifted. It might be the first step to being filled with great joy. And so I don't know where you're at. I don't know uh, where you stand. But what I do know is we long to be a church. We long to be a people that are gospel-centered and spirit-empowered. So together, let's keep taking steps toward that end. City Light, this Christmas season, let's get excited. Let's get excited because there is good news of great joy for all people. That includes you, and it includes me. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to give us joy as we learn more about it. All right? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, you are good. You are always good. You're good beyond what we can understand or imagine. And so God, in this Christmas season, would you just be good to us in, uh, in new ways to us? For people who have followed you for their lifetime, God, would you, uh, would you reveal to them deeper truths about the gospel? Would you take them deeper into who you are? Maybe even fill them with, with the Holy Spirit in ways that give them new joy. God, I got a special uh, burden on my heart this morning for people who may never have known joy in you. They hear a message like this, they read in a passage like this, and they think, that's not me. I've looked for joy in other places, and every time I've been let down, the world has thrown punches and I just can't seem to dodge any of them. And I'm skeptical. I'm critical. I don't really want to let anybody else in. I don't want to get my hopes up that there could be joy for me because every other time I've done that, I've just been let down. And that hurts. I got those concerns and those reservations and hesitations. They're real and oftentimes they're legitimate. And you know that. You know our hurts and our pains. But God, I know the Holy Spirit is real too. And it was better for us that you would send him to be among us. And you promised, both in your word, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And in your story and experience, people got the Holy Spirit. They got joy. God, for those people who are questioning, could that ever be for me? God, would you answer yes today? If that's you, would you just pray? Pray a prayer, something like this. Oh, God, I have no idea what it would look like to find joy in you. Man, I want to. Would you move in me? Would you fill me the way that you filled those people back then, the way that you're filling people in this room right now? Would you fill me and give me joy? Oh, God, would you do that in and among us for your glory and our good? We love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen.